listening to Breakthrough News. It's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch Out Monday, the 15th of 2021, uh, 15th of February, I should say. Very happy to be with you here to start off your week, as we always are. And we'll be with you here at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every day this week. Again, as we always are. Plenty here for you coming off the weekend here on the show. Going to be talking about the 2020 election. Yes, that's right. Still something to say. This time about how expensive it was. The answer is very expensive. The most expensive. In fact, we're also going to be talking about the island of Haiti, where massive resistance to a dictatorial regime there continues and it has continued for about two weeks very strongly, but continued this weekend in a huge way. We're going to be talking about protest there on yesterday, that is. But before we get to either of those two important stories, we want to turn to the issue of COVID-19 and the New York Times who twisted the truth, you could say, in order to smear China. Well, over the weekend, the New York Times got caught twisting the words of the World Health Organization officials in order to smear China. There really is no other way to, to even describe it. I mean, on Friday, they published an article that was designed to cast doubt on the WHO finding that the COVID-19 virus was highly unlikely to have emerged from a lab in Wuhan, China, and that after their investigation, the issue of COVID origins was essentially unknown still. The Times article was casting doubt on this. It was part of a wave of criticism in the West of China's response to the COVID-19 virus, despite it being the first country to get the virus under control and having played a key role in making the genetic material available for free to the entire world that allowed the quick development of vaccines. And, you know, since really this entire time, though, since that early, these early days, Western nations and the New York Times editorial board, I should mention, uh, who also recently said China, quote unquote, owes us, quote unquote, answers. They've been insistent that China is hiding something. And on Friday, they ran this article alleging that key documents had been withheld from the WHO team. That was right there in the headlines. So in other words, saying that China had not was only trying to hide something, but had indeed hidden something, which is why the WHO was saying it was highly unlikely uh, the lab story and that they were unsure of the origins. The time story just casting doubt on all that, muddying the waters. Now, after that article on Friday, a number of members of the team, the WHO team itself, took to Twitter to express their displeasure with the article. Peter Daszak, he's a zoologist, part of the team there in the WHO, said about the Times article on his Twitter account, quote, this was not my experience at all. I found trust and openness with my Chinese counterparts. We did get access to critical data. We did increase our understanding, end quote. He went on to say that, quote, it's disappointing to spend time with journalists explaining key findings of our exhausting months-long work in China to see our colleagues selectively misquoted to fit a narrative that was prescribed before the work began. Shame on you, New York Times, end quote. 
Thea Colson Fisher, a Danish epidemiologist who's also in the team, said something similar, saying, quote, this was not my experience either on the epi side. That's epidemiological. We did build up a good relationship with the Chinese uh, epi team. Allowing for heated arguments reflects a deep level of engagement in the room, end quote. So again here, the Times says, China withholding articles the, from the, the China withholding documents from the WHO. Uh, the WHO people saying we they did not withhold documents. So obviously, two very different narratives there. Obviously, the New York Times narrative makes it seem like oh China's still hiding something and they're probably behind it all. While the WHO narrative making the point, well, this is not in fact true. We thought we had very good cooperation with them, and you know because of that good cooperation and everything else we've known, it's just. You know, we don't know what the origin of the thing is, and it probably didn't come from a lab here. So again, twisting the words of the actual team members in order to smear China. Elites in the U.S. are clearly looking for scapegoats for their own bungled response and hoping that somehow China did something that they can blame them for. But, of course, let's just reiterate here, the... And finding is not that surprising because the Wuhan origin story has not only been totally unproven as of yet, but there's all sorts of other information that's out there that raises a lot of questions. I mean, we don't even know, not only, forget where COVID first started, we actually don't even know how exactly it jumped from animals to humans now. You've heard about bats, but that's actually just conjecture. We also, of course, have cases in Europe that predate the first cases in Wuhan. The first cases in Wuhan were not connected to the Wuhan fish market that we all were told was the original origin. So we actually have no idea what the origin was. We're not even clear it's in China, period. It's not 100% sure how this COVID-19 virus jumped from animals to humans. So no surprise the WHO wasn't able to find any evidence of some secret major Chinese cover-up in Wuhan, which it certainly never seemed like there was. But this, of course, is deeply embarrassing to the West. And the real reason that is behind this, the real reason that is behind this, is, is an attempt to pin blame on China, to assign, assign blame here, to create the perception that China's political system, which the Times deems as quote-unquote authoritarian, is not, in fact, superior to the Western democracies. And that, yes, they got COVID wrong, but China's hiding things. They're not explaining things. They did a bad job, too, so they can't claim that they're any better than us. It's political. But as the WHO team members themselves, who once again are saying that the lab story that it emerged in a lab in Wuhan is highly unlikely, and saying that, again, we don't know where the origins were, so we can't just say it's China or Wuhan specifically, they are saying the Times assertion and other people's assertions to the contrary are, in fact, not the case that there's been good cooperation and that ultimately these rumors and lies are just that. But of course, that doesn't matter to the New York Times who ran the article anyway. We will see if there's any sort of pushback in any serious way or any real changes from there and doesn't seem all that likely. It seems ultimately this is all part of a bigger attempt just to look for and create pretext for U.S. officials and U.S. elites to avoid the responsibility for their own inaction. <laughs> Well, those were sounds from massive protests in Haiti's capital of Port-au-Prince yesterday. Certainly tens of thousands of people came out there. Many are saying 100,000 or more came out in a massive show of force there in Port-au-Prince opposing the former president, Jovenel Moise, who has now moved into a dictatorship of sorts. Protests were suppressed by various police tactics, including the firing of rubber bullets, by the way. Some demonstrators wore red T-shirts that said in Creole, revolting slave. 
So it gives you a sense of the tenor and the tone there. The protests come as the latest in two weeks of very intense resistance here in Haiti, part of a process that actually began in 2018 against the rule of then-president Jovenel Moyes. After Moyes and company were caught looting billions of dollars in development aid from Venezuela, Moyes started to lose quite a bit of support from huge chunks of the population to such a degree that as of that for all of last year, he just ruled by decree. He essentially just dissolved parliament. And then now, uh, as of about a week ago, he has illegally extended his presidential term for one year and is planning elections and a constitutional change by a referendum that are also, by the way, illegal according to the Constitution, but are beyond that, just transparent attempts to submit the rule of his party, regardless of the democratic will of the people, changing the rules of the game to fit their needs. Moyes has essentially, as I mentioned, dissolved parliament and also the Supreme Court. Uh, he actually arrested a Supreme Court justice that tried to uh, replace him as the interim president. He's been using heavy violence against protesters and journalists using various forms of what you could call armed forces, some the military, some the police. There are also these militia gang style institutions that seem to be roaming the streets also out there trying to enforce Moyes' dictatorial rule. And yesterday's mass protests really represented the boiling over of opposition on a range of fronts. First and foremost, of course, as we've been mentioning, the abrogation of democracy, which has united a broad swath of political forces who, whatever other differences they have, do not want to turn to the years, return to the years of dictatorship that marked Haiti for much of the second half of the 20th century. And this has allowed a fairly broad front of opposition forces, although not all, to back a transitional government that's seeking to be brought to power by these protests as the official government, the legal constitutional government. Secondly, the anger is directed at the social deterioration of Haiti under Moyes. His stealing of billions of dollars in development aid went hand in hand with him being committed to the export-oriented agriculture that exploits the countryside and the sweatshop industry that exploits workers majorly. The U.S. is backing Moyes as it has always backed governments that support the export industries and the sweatshop industries, no matter how bad it is for the Haitian people. And also in Moyes' case here specifically, that have contributed to the campaign against progressive governments in Latin America. Protesters are also very irate because the vacuum of power that Moyes has created has created a large rise for uh, criminal gangs and a huge increase in kidnappings and other major public safety issues. One protester told Al Jazeera, quote, the money from Petro-Karib fund has been squandered. We don't have good hospitals. And the United States continues to support this corrupt government, end quote, showing the connection there between the stealing of the development aid from Venezuela, those are the Petro-Karib funds, the lack of a positive development structure in the country and the fact that it's the backing of the United States that stands behind it. Many people expressing anger at the United States for continuing to support Moyes at the protest. There is, however, not total unanimity among the opposition groups, of course, but also the masses themselves who have been betrayed many times by various political forces, including, by the way, some of those out protesting Moyes now, who have not aggressively challenged the status quo when they had the chance. So where and how far exactly the movement can go, it's not 100% clear. But what is clear is that the determination of people to stay in the streets and resist the dictatorship is unequivocal. While Moyes has quite a bit of force behind him and also the support of the U.S., the OAS, and the U.N., it just seems from the tidal wave of humanity that rose up yesterday in Haiti that there are serious questions about whether he can hang on or not. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, it's official. The 2020 election cycle was the most expensive in U.S. history, breaking the record held by the 2016 election cycle. Just going to go out on a limb here and say I bet that 2024 will probably set a new record. Either way, setting cynicism aside here, overall $14.4 billion was spent on this cycle overall. The presidential election drew a record of $5.7 billion. Congressional races raked in $8.7 billion in total spending. Nine of the 10 most expensive Senate races ever occurred in this cycle, the 2020 cycle. Five of the 10 most expensive House races ever happened in 2020. Joe Biden's presidential campaign, by the way, became the first campaign to raise over $1 billion. Now, this year, like 2016, there was, without a doubt, a big impact from small-dollar donors, more than ever on both sides. And there's certainly a lot to be said about the rise of small-dollar donors, which has been made much easier by the existence of the internet, and it's allowed candidates not popular in the corporate world to become much more viable against the concentrated money of the elites. But in an overall sense, big money still rules the day. 56% of all donations came from large donors, PACs, or candidates self-funding. 42% from large dollar donations alone. Small dollar donations made up 23% of all donations. Super PACs, which are totally funded by the ultra-rich, especially billionaires, spent about $400 million more than the amount of small donations to both parties combined. $400 million more. The top 100 donors gave $1.6 billion that can be tracked, that is, $1.6 billion, which is roughly what the two parties raised individually from small donations. $1.8 billion for Democrats, $1.1 billion for Republicans. So the top 100 donors pretty much gave as much as millions of people gave to both parties individually. And super, and of course, as we know, big donors also uh, get the access and the perks that small donors just don't get. Uh, you know, you get meetings with the advisors, you get meeting with the candidate itself, you get influence on different people who are uh, picked for different things. You yourself get put on different boards and access to different government positions, whatever it may be. Those sorts of perks that if you give $200 or $50, you're just never going to get, which shows that there's a big difference between them. So at the end of the day, if anything else, this small dollar revolution, as important as it has been for some candidates who are challenging the corporate status quo has really just obscured the intense domination of politics by big money continually. And all the articles about this often miss that point, that as important and as relevant as it is that more people who are working class, regular people are donating, it's the big money, the hundreds of millionaires, the billionaires who are dominating the game. And they continue to do that in 2020 in the most expensive election cycle in history. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT 